welcome to Chasing Perfection, a UConn women's basketball podcast. If you're in the Northeast, hopefully you're staying warm and staying safe with the snow and then the ice that's out there. If you are not in the Northeast and you're somewhere that is warm, then, well, you're the lucky one. We have a show coming to you right from the middle of conference play. So not a whole lot going on with the team right now. A couple, I mean, they keep stacking up good wins. It's not like they're playing well, but they're all all these games really feel like they're in their same formula right now where you're getting the same type of defense you're getting contributions from a lot of different people but a lot of the same cast of characters carrying the load page has been really good ali has been really good those two freshmen kk and ashlyn have been really good nika keeps hitting shots and piling up assists she's not at 100 for the year already she could it's not out of the realm of possibility that she could, I guess not break Sue Bird's record, but she could finish with the second most assists in a season if she starts, if she continues at this pace, because she had a slow start, but she's really picked it up recently. That would be crazy to see. Nika Mule, Nika Mule, and then Sue Bird on the all-time assist list. <laughs> would be something. But what do you think about these last two games? Providence, a blowout win, and St. John's, an even bigger blowout win. Yeah, I mean, kind of like you already said, more of the same. They're winning in the same way. They are doing a lot of the same things. They're just blowing these opponents out of the water. All good things, right? Like, I mean, we're going to talk about it a little bit, but there are plenty of teams that aren't blowing teams that are of that caliber out of the water. So at least at least they're doing that, but not, not a lot of excitement, I feel like, to talk about in the last few games. Yeah, we saw what it could be like earlier in the year when this team was struggling through Minnesota, who, granted, not a bad team, but mm-hmm. Kansas, who, yes, they've come along, but it was rough for a little while watching this team. And even when they were winning games, it was ugly, but it's so crisp, clean. All of that right now is just really flowing it's not that it's, I think it's, a, it's a very entertaining product to watch. I don't want to get that uh, mixed with what we're saying. It's very entertaining to watch. There's still a lot of building. There's still a lot of intrigue. They're just not leaving us with a whole lot to talk about on the podcast. Yeah, exactly. Which is maybe a better thing. I'm assuming everyone that listens to this prefers it to us having to talk about like the loss to St. John's last year. So it, it's a, it's in the right direction. <laughs> or just another week where we only can discuss injuries because that's all there is to talk about. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. Well, there was one big takeaway from this week. Ice Brady all of a sudden has showed up on the scene and it's been building. It's been bubbling for a couple of weeks. But until St. John's, there really wasn't the explosion that breakout game it was all just yeah it's looking better oh she's doing this better in practice okay this aspect of her game has been a little more refined but st john's she really emerges in a big way that we hadn't seen before not just on offense i mean she did have the 17 points which is 10 points more than her career high but four rebounds and just the way she was getting those points. It wasn't all three pointers. She was getting to the line. She was scoring from inside. She didn't even play a ton either. 24 minutes. And 
I think we've learned a lot about ice these last couple of weeks and what Gino said, what she said and how it's, it's really easy for her to get down on herself and not have the confidence in herself to go out there and do what she can do because everyone has said she's fully, fully capable skills wise as a player and that confidence wasn't there and you could see that confidence building and I wasn't totally sold on it until we finally had this type of game and certainly had this type of game on Saturday. Yeah, I think it's a huge step forward for her to go out there and even for just one game string that kind of performance together and show that she can do it. Like, yes, it's just St. John's and like, yeah, they're not probably a tournament team this year, but it's it's still a good a good team to do it against and a step in the right direction. And I think we've talked a lot about with Aubrey going down, like how important she is to this team and how they need her to step up and to see her, her do that. I think so early on into them trying to adapt without Aubrey is a, is a really good sign that she can contribute probably not at that level every night, but to some degree going forward, that's going to help this team go further. Yeah. They, they need her. I mean, they really do not have anything else down low that they can turn to. I mean, Gino has made his feelings on Amari abundantly clear with both his words and his actions. So it's Aaliyah and it's ice. I mean, Cadence, I just, she, she can't be the same, you know, replica of Aubrey down low. They're just different players. And even Ashlyn, I think probably could contribute a little more down low, but they don't have that size, that length, that athleticism that Aubrey had. The only one that can really reproduce the, you know, that post player rebounds and the defensive impact down low. Those things that Aubrey had in her tool chest that made her more of a post player than a guard this season. The only one who can even come close to filling that gap is Ice. So it's one game. But it's not like it came out of nowhere. It's been building for a while. Hopefully it's a breakout that can last. They don't need her to score 17 points a game. But if she's given them 10, 12 points every single night and making good decisions with the ball and just playing her game. It really doesn't even matter what the stats are. All of a sudden we can start looking at this team a lot more differently if one month from today, February 16th, Ice has been doing it for a month straight, and they're starting to really be able to count on her down there. That's a completely different outlook for this team. Agreed. I think her being able to step up with some kind of consistency like really changes things for this team in terms of the area with the most question marks right now is definitely that front court because beyond Olia, there's just nothing proven. And if she can, she's not like you said, she's not gonna have 17 every night. But if she can score with some consistency, contribute in other ways on the glass, on the defensive end with some consistency, that's going to put this team in a lot better position come March. Yeah, without it, they could go a ways, but I don't think... I hate bringing everything back to a national championship sometimes, but that is really... Even a Final Four, I think it would be really tough for this team to get to a final four without ice, just contributing in some capacity. She doesn't need to be a superstar right away. Just be a solid role player for this team, get some rebounds, play some good defense and just 
even if all she does is lets Aaliyah go to the bench for 10 minutes a game and get a breather while keeping it at a net neutral, that was more than what she was doing early in the year. And she's been above that really since Aubrey went down. It, it's almost mm -hmm. scary how quickly that lined up. And there was overlap there. So it's not as if once Aubrey went down, it kind of clicked with ice. I think that probably played a factor, but yeah, just it it looks so much different all of a sudden now that ice is contributing she's and just the way she's playing looks so much different than it did early in the year she's not tentative she's she knows what she's doing she knows what she wants to do and she's executing it exactly and it's giving them something off the bench as i mean we've seen Kaden samuels have a couple good games but she's also sometimes just really struggles with her shot and this team needs something that's going to be consistent off the bench. It's really hard to make a Final Four like you're alluding to or even think about a national championship with a team that's running five deep. Yeah, it's easy to think about. Five five yeah. players that you know what you're going to get, and then your two bench players are freshmen, who both <laughs> of whom have had their struggles, both of whom, I mean, are far from sure things right now. We could be in a month talking about, all right, how do they get ice going? alongside Q because Q's humming and I think Gino talked about this today when we had a video call with him that he really is working with Q in getting her to find a way to impact the game beyond just her shots and they need her to be able to do something even when her shots aren't falling and that's nothing that we haven't heard before from him like he says that with every single player especially the big scorers but I think what what's notable when you talk about Q with that is she's actually started to, it, it's been slow. It hasn't been perfect every game, but she started to make some progress rebounding specifically because you look at dating back to the Tor Toronto Metropolitan game prior to that, she had grabbed multiple rebounds in four games, Toronto Metropolitan, she had nine, which granted, not a Division One opponent, but after that she had three rebounds, six rebounds, five rebounds, five rebounds, and three rebounds. That's not nothing. And if it's at least helping her understand what it takes to contribute a little bit more, then, you know, that's certainly better than nothing. Yeah, exactly. I think, I think that's really important. And just anything they can get in terms of production off the bench is so important right now, too where this team can can go in the long run it's just it's crazy that we're talking about really having five proven options at this point considering how much depth we were talking about at the beginning of the season but it is what it is and they've got to find a way to to work with what they've got i'm still terrified by KK and Ashlyn being such big contributors and it has nothing to do with them. It's just the general freshman fear that, okay, are they going to hit a wall at some point and are they going to run into some adversity? Like, are the shots going to stop falling for Ashlyn and she's got to work out of that? Or is, is KK going to hit a wall and she's got to work out of that? I don't know if that's rational thought. Like it, we've seen plenty of examples where freshmen are really good players throughout the season and don't have that let up, but it's probably just a product of how they they don't have anything beyond them. That if those two aren't humming the way that they have been for the last month, then all of a sudden you're looking at a really, really dire situation. So I, I don't think they'll fall off. It's more just one of those 
one of those uh, nagging fears that I can't get out of my head. Yeah, I think that's fair. And I think, I mean, it's natural to be concerned when it's freshmen because they just don't have the experience and, and sometimes they do hit that wall. I feel like we're seeing sometimes like less than of that. I don't know. I feel like we've seen, I mean, Paige being the ultimate example, but many freshmen recently that are just able to go and not play like freshmen. And I think it's evident not to say UConn around the country. I mean, if you look at the number of top teams this year that are relying pretty heavily on star freshmen doing what they're doing to be successful, it's it's a really high number of teams that are in that position. Yeah, certainly. One area that I think the depth really hurts them is on defense because mm -hmm. as we saw against Providence, and granted, Providence is not exactly the 2016 UConn team in terms of mm -hmm. talent, and they were already pretty shorthanded. They're, they're shorthanded enough that their starting point guard is someone who is a grad assistant for them, and they had to throw out on the court because they were so short on players. But the number of turnovers they forced in that game, specifically the first quarter with 13, and the way that they just got Providence all out of sorts and had them throwing the ball all over the place... A lot of that came from the press defense, and we we heard about it all off season, and we even see it that you know Gino really wants to use that press, and it's effective with KK and Paige and Nika and even Aaliyah. Like those are all players that can get you a lot of steals and a lot of plays defensively, and it's great when you can run with it, but there are only so many opportunities that you can really have it out there because how long can five players, even seven players, let's just say every single, all seven players can play fantastic defense and can press just because you can, maybe you can get through a game pressing the whole time, but then what's that do for you again in a month when you're this short and in two months when you're in March and you've been playing with a seven man rotation out of necessity for since what late November I mean <laughs> you can only go so far with it and you have to take a both short-term and long-term view so maybe you just keep that press fresh and run it a few times a game just to keep everyone on their p's and q's I don't, is that the saying keep everyone on or is it mind your p's and q's keep everyone it's on mind their... your... yeah I don't keep everyone on their I don't know whatever Details, People whatever, whatever it is <laughs> Keeping everyone on their X's and O's and, and maybe that's what you do. And then March, you can really unveil that. And we saw last year, that second round game isn't necessarily a cakewalk. Like you can't beat Baylor by what, like 15, but that was not an easy 15 point win. And UCF the year before, I think was even harder. So yet one of those either plucky mid-majors in, in your little sub-regional or an on the rise Baylor team as We've kind of seen, you could talk about it a little more later, but you're going to need that at some point. I think it's good that they have it in their holster, but it's not thing that they're going to be used much as I think Gino would like. Yeah, I agree. It was just such a short rotation. It's, there's only so often you can use it. All right, so let's look at the week coming up. They have Steve Hall down in South Orange on... Wednesday, you return home to play DePaul in front of a sold-out Gamble crowd on Superhero Day on Saturday. I I just don't... Those feel like going to be more of the same from 
what we've seen the last yes yeah, seven games but like specifically this stretch of georgetown providence and st john uconn is way more talented than those teams and they're playing really well and as long as they come out and they don't just lay an egg that's probably a what 25 30 40 50 point win if things really click but i i think the important thing this week is just continuing to build and have ice keep looking keep the defense going and just if everything that stays in line with just incremental steps forward that's a pretty good week and no one else gets hurt yeah i agree i think at least with seton hall you're talking about a team that's kind of on the bubble for the tournament so it's a little bit of a step up from like kind of the last couple teams they've played so there's at least that to look at it's a road game so that's going to be a quality road win if you can pick it up but yeah i mean DePaul really doesn't excite much as it has in past years i also don't understand this tip time for seton hall being at 8 30 i assume yeah SNY controls the tip. Is that just a way to try and offset it from the men's game a little bit? So maybe you get, you don't get people in that first half hour, but once the men's game ends, people come in after that. I don't know. That's a, that's a strange one to me. I'd get it if it was FS1 or something, but just being SNY. I agree. I didn't realize it was SNY. So yeah, I assumed it was like on something else and that was why. Right, we have like the late tip, yeah. Yeah, like the the six thirty games are usually Fox, so that they can then get that eight thirty game afterwards, right? Instead of it being a nine o'clock tip or having some sort of overlap, but yeah, yeah, maybe it is the men's game. I'm trying to think because didn't we have a six thirty one that was S and Y when it was Providence, and that was also kind of up against one of the men's games, so maybe they're trying to not overlap too much with the men what was it with them yeah yeah the men started at 8 30 you're right mm-hmm. that one made sense so it's it's got to be in relation to the men because it's not a perfect venn diagram it's not a circle but there's plenty of plenty of overlap there right where when the women have a game that you're thinking they're going to win pretty comfortably and it's two dollar beer night against a team that the men have only ever beaten once at Gamble. Even people who may lean women, but like both teams may flip over to Creighton more than watching the women. If those games were on at the same time. Yeah, exactly. Looking ahead beyond that, it starts to pick up a little bit. You go out to Marquette a week from the night we're recording this Tuesday. You got Notre Dame the Saturday after that, which is going to be quite a festive atmosphere it's a whiteout it is sold out and they're going to be honoring four championship teams with plenty of stars in the house diana tarasi brianna stewart and most of the both of those those teams obviously they're not exact replicas of each other but if you were on one team there's a pretty good chance you were on both teams they only lost like 13 i think it was only Kelly Ferris that departed, if I'm not wrong. I don't think I could tell you for 03 and 04, because that was a little before my time, but it was <laughs> essentially Diane and everyone else. So that's going to be a party. Yeah, for sure. I'm sure it's going to be a fired up crowd. And not that I had too much concern about UConn against Notre Dame anyway, but I think that piece should make it. A, a good game or 
well, good game for UConn and that. I don't know that they're going to have that much trouble with that environment behind them. But regardless, it's still a step up from what we're seeing in some of these conference games and an opportunity for a, or an important win on their resume. Might kill Gino, though. Yeah, I mean, he joked about when Maya was at one of the games. Was that what it was? That he wished that Maya still had some eligibility because she would start the next game. Mm-hmm. Maybe not the 0304 team. Like, yeah, I, I think he would take Diana in a heartbeat. But, like, 13-14, I, I, I mean, there's still plenty that are still playing. But even the ones who aren't, I think he would take plenty of those players on that team. <laughs> yeah, especially in the injury situation that they're in. I think even 0304, it might might be worthwhile. <laughs> yeah, you're telling me that Kelly Ferris couldn't come off the bench for this team. I mean, <laughs> may not be a great roster fit because they have plenty of point guards, but, you know, she could at least give them minutes, give them quality minutes. Yeah. Then after that, you head down to Villanova to face... Villanova, obviously, a, a a game that should be good, but not what it was without Maddie Segrist. Yeah, not a team that I'm like super excited about what they're going to do this year, but Lucy Olsen has been insane for them, and I think that will be a fun matchup to watch at the very least. Is It was a lot of fun to watch her and Nika Mule kind of go at it last year, but but just add the level that Lucy Olson is playing at this year. I haven't looked at her numbers, but at one point I think she was like second or third in the country in scoring. So, so that matchup should be a lot of fun. You know, I don't, you know, pretend to be some sort of great basketball talent evaluator, but I'm quite proud of myself for nailing how good <laughs> Lucy Olson was going to be as a freshman. You could see it back then. Yeah, you could see it. She, there, there's just that, that edge about her, that fire about her, that, yeah, I didn't think she would be this good. I didn't really see her as this huge scorer, but man, to lose Maddie Segrist, the best, if she's not the best, there's a second player in Villanova history whose name is escaping me right now, but I'm, yeah, I think I said this last year. The best. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I think I said last year that Segrist was easily the best and someone responded and said, all right, this player was pretty good too, so. Losing a top two player in program history at the very least and replacing it with someone like Olsen, who, I mean, is a phenomenal player and a, one of those players that I think you'd hate to have, you hate to play against, but would love to have on your team. Mm-hmm. Denise Dillon can coach. Yeah, I just looked up the numbers while we were sitting here and she's at 22.8 points per game, eighth in the country. It's more than yep. page, that's crazy. Yeah, I think Nova's, they're a better team than maybe they look on paper, too. Over the last few games, they've really kind of gotten it rolling a little bit more. So I don't think UConn's going to have trouble with them, but it will at least be fun to watch Lucille Olsen and how they handle that. And it should be more exciting than the last two, I would think. Yes, then you follow that with St. John's and Seton Hall, the same back-to-back that you just... That, that they have coming up this week. Gino said at the start of the year that there's got to be a, that he doesn't think anyone in this conference is going to go undefeated. And I, I think, yes, UConn certainly could lose a game, but I think it would have a lot more to do with UConn not 
playing up to their level than someone in conference. Maybe Creighton, like Creighton gets really hot from three. Creighton, for some reason, is just god-awful. Those those five seniors that they have are so bad when they play UConn, but yeah. if they flip it around, they have a really good night, and that's almost a month from now. Who knows what could happen in that, in that span? Maybe UConn hits a wall similar to how they did last February. I'm, I'm not saying that they're definitely going undefeated or even Marquette on the road. Maybe they're looking for some revenge. I just, if you asked me a month ago, is UConn going undefeated in conference play? I would have said there's zero chance. And if you asked me today, I probably say there's a better chance than not that UConn gets into the NCAA tournament without a conference loss. Yeah. And that's not to knock like Marquette and, and, and I still think they're good teams, but yeah, the way UConn's playing right now, I just it's hard to see it. Not that it can't happen, it certainly could. Those examples that you gave are good ones, but they just seem to be rolling, and I don't know. I feel like you, this UConn team just has the, that Creighton team's number. Like, it's been the same team for the last three years, and they just they know how to handle it. Yeah, and this UConn team... I think we just said this blank team like five times in a row and I yeah. <laughs> realized it. So I, I, I'm going to amend my statement. Um, and the difference with this year's team as opposed to the last two, we've, we've seen a level of consistency over the last month that I don't think last year's teams ever had over even a span of two weeks because of how much in and out there was because of how much uncertainty was always surrounding them. We really shouldn't be overestimating, underestimating, underestimating, overestimating. I think it's underestimating. Yes. Underestimating how important that is to this team's success and what they've been doing because they know everyone knows what they need to do. And it's the same group and it's again it's the same formula for how they're winning it's not like there's anything that's unsustainable here it's not like there's anything fluky about the way they play or we talked about this earlier in the year and i i still don't have a better word but they're not gimmicky like they had to be for a few games to get through they got page going they got Aaliyah going they can beat you with threes they can beat you inside it's not like the guards need to hit threes to score a lot of points they can all get inside to to varying degrees i'd rather have kk go into the paint than nika but it's not like nika's only limited to the three-point line the way that like joey calcaterra was last year where i think most of his <laughs> shots on the men's side came from three-point range they've got a very varied group that can score from a lot of different spots and the way that they turn these teams over defensively just really gives them such a built-in cushion, I feel like, because if they weren't getting those turnovers, then they're only winning these games by 15 points. Those turnovers are doubling or tripling those leads because even if they're not scoring off of them, it's still throwing the other team off of what they do. It gives out those other teams one less possession. So, yeah, there's there's got to be a game in here where they slip up, and maybe it doesn't end up in a loss. Maybe it looks like that Villanova game last year where... They did not play well, but they pulled out the win somehow. They're bound to have one in there somewhere with how young this team is, but I think they have enough and they know what they're doing well enough that they can at least overcome it. 
Or if it does happen, it's going to be a blip on the radar and then they get right back to it. Not like last year where you lose to South Carolina and then you lose two in a row to Marquette and then the floor just completely comes out from under them for the next month. Yeah, I agree. I don't I don't see that happening with this team. It doesn't feel like they're on that trajectory at all. Anyways, I was going through all these conference games to get to the South Carolina <laughs> game because there are reports out there that Brazil has some Olympic qualifying games coming up, which if they want to bring in their full roster and they get all their players released to play in those qualifiers would mean Camila Cardoso, who is South Carolina's number one big, wouldn't be available for that game. That would be good news for UConn in that, yes, you have a much better chance of winning that game considering Cardoso is, what is she, 6'7", 6'8"? She might even be listed yeah. at 6'8 now. And Emily Adams, the new beat writer for The Current, but used to cover South Carolina, said she thinks Cardoso might even be 6'9". So unless they're planning to defend her with ice on Aaliyah's shoulders, they don't, <laughs> that size does not match up well. So in that sense, it would be good. But if it was, if you're talking about the NCAA tournament and it's like a situation where, ah, they don't know if Cardoso is going to be ready or not to come back, then I'm always in the camp of sure. You want to beat the best, but uh, if you can get by the best when they don't have their best player, and that's the luck of the draw, then you take that. But for a regular season game, I would rather see how you can with Cardoso out there. And who cares if you lose by 25? If you lose by 25, then you have a really good idea of what might are. need to happen in March. Yeah. yeah. Whereas if you beat South Carolina by two without Cardoso, to me it would feel a little bit like, Maryland celebrating the national championship when they beat UConn with Ina starting at point guard last year. Like, yeah, you get the win. Yeah, it probably feel pretty good about your resume, but then how does that look to the committee? Does that win mean as much for UConn? Does that loss mean as much for South Carolina? Can you really feel good about yourself winning that game without one of South Carolina's best players out there? South Carolina's biggest mismatch for you, if nothing else. So... I think UConn should absolutely be rooting for Cardoso to be back in that game because that loss is not going to keep from being a... It's not going to drop you from the two line to the five line. It's probably going to hold you right where you are. And if you go out there and play a competitive game like last year, then you probably feel pretty good about yourself and you feel better about yourself at beating them without Cardoso. Yeah, I agree. I think, especially when you look at, we just talked about kind of the lack of excitement left in this conference schedule. This game is really that like measuring stick before the NCAA tournament of where is this team really at? Because like, yeah, we've seen them beat up on all these teams and they look a lot better and you've beaten Louisville and you've beaten North Carolina and then Creighton and Marquette and you do have that Notre Dame game coming. But like, this is like, what do you look like against the top five type team? And they haven't had that measuring stick since early in the season when obviously we know they failed to, to kind of come out with the win in any of them. So this is the real test of where you're at. And I think you just want it to come at full strength. You'd rather see the loss now and know where you're at and what needs to improve for March than like kind of just have it not be the full game or the, the full strength game. Right. And 
I will say it's not like South Carolina has played a gauntlet of a schedule. I think South Carolina is going to be coming into this game wanting to see what they can do against a UConn team that I don't think there's a whole lot of teams that are playing better than them right now. They might be number nine in the poll, which is fine. I think that's a perfectly fine spot for them to be. But look at all the teams that just lost this week. UCLA and Stanford and Baylor's really dropped. LSU. UConn's... Yeah, UConn is... You can only play the schedule that you can play. And yeah, it would look different if UConn was in the Pac-12 or SEC, whatever. But it's not like they didn't just beat a ranked Marquette team by 30 and a ranked Creighton team by 45. <laughs> so what they're doing against these weaker teams is just a continuation of what's already been happening and the way they beat the crap out of Louisville. So it, it's, I think both teams are re- going to be really interested to see what they can do against each other. Cause it's, who else is South Carolina really going to play LSU? Yeah. But we've seen what South Carolina does to LSU. Yeah, exactly. I, I'm sure South Carolina has this one schedule or circled on their schedule as well. Just the SEC isn't having its best year. You're you're not seeing other than LSU, which are, people probably have different opinions of how good LSU is right now. But they haven't outside of LSU. There's just really no top tier opponents in the SEC that they're playing. I mean, they played Notre Dame, but that was the season opener. Really, honestly, like look at their schedule. The only like kind of big, big win they have is that win over Utah that they had uh, at Monkey Gun Sun. So they're probably interested to see what they look like against UConn right now, too. Yeah, and you look at the rankings, which we've talked about plenty of times. is not a perfect measure, but it's South Carolina 1, LSU number 10. The next team in the poll, if you want to call that, call it that is in the receiving boats section and that is shay ralph's vanderbilt squad so nothing <laughs> against shay because big shay ralph podcast here they're having a great season yes. but when your conference beats its chest over how good it is and how underrated it is and it doesn't get the respect it deserves and your third best team is a program on the upswing instead of some established power that's pushing for the ncaa tournament then i have serious questions about your conference yeah, I mean, you're talking about a Tennessee team that are they even going to make the tournament? Probably, but like, it's not a sure thing. An all Miss team that I think got a lot of hype coming into the season off of that Stanford win last year, but hasn't necessarily lived up to it. And then, yeah, just a bunch of teams that are kind of floating around the bubble. No major, you know, contenders when you're talking about March. I will say, looking at this, I just continue continue to push my point that there should be certain if you vote a certain way one week you should either get banned from the poll for like a week or you should (laughs) lose your vote and to the five people that voted for auburn to be in the poll (laughs) i mean come on you you gotta you gotta use your brain oh my god people come on that's embarrassing they lost to tennessee and tennessee is terrible Yeah, they're they're 12 and 5. They, other than that LSU win, they lost three straight before that. Like, granted, Texas AM and Tennessee. Yeah, like, granted, they probably played the five best. They're they're gonna start SEC play with the five best teams in the SEC with Tennessee, 
Texas A&M, Ole Miss, LSU, and Vanderbilt. Is that fair? I didn't well, say South Carolina. South Carolina. I, yeah. You know, that one. The five below South Carolina. So it's not like it's been a cakewalk for them, but come on, Tennessee is just... Tennessee is having itself a moment, and it's not a good one. Texas they A&M, lost by yeah, twenty-two to Texas A&M, yeah, like yeah. <laughs> and Mississippi State is just—I don't think having the type of season that they were hoping that they were going to have. Yeah. So, you you can't just vote for a team because they upset someone else. That's right. Then I mean, Fairfield that's... is only getting four votes in there. Like, yeah, it's a crime. It's a crime. Reminds me, I need to try to make it down to a Fairfield game one of these days. I know. I would love to go see the new rink or the new arena is supposed to be phenomenal. It looks great on video. It's tough, though. It's not Fairfield is like a sneaky, tough place to get to in Connecticut, because if I had to drive an hour, like. It's what, like an hour ish from the Hartford area, (laughs) so. An hour yeah. probably to what Torrington? That is a hundred times easier than driving down to Fairfield because you're basically yeah. going through the worst traffic you can get there. Yep, exactly. But, no, I would love to finally go see that arena, see a game there, especially the women's team with the connection to Lou, different coaching staff, of course. The uh, the new city. I had a friend that played for Fairfield for a few years, so. That would be yeah. That would be a fun fun place to go. Agreed. Have you been to another like college team in Connecticut? Oh, I have. No, I've been to a Hartford have... game. That's why. I have not. I meant to Men's make it down to too. like a Quinnipiac game when they were good, but never actually did it. Um. So yeah, I have not made it to another one. So it would be fun to go. Yeah, that's. It's one of those things where it's like, okay, well, I'm at a sporting event four out of seven nights a week. It's a little tough to, to fit another one in there when you yeah. think about the men, the women, and then free hop, which is twice a week guaranteed. Friday, Saturday, almost every single weekend. Boom, boom. So, <laughs> yeah. I would double had to go to Fairfield for a basketball game if I had like a game on a Saturday and then Sacred Heart opened up a new hockey rink last year, the exact same day UConn opened its new hockey rink. So get like a double header swing in there. That would be the perfect way to do it. <laughs> there you go. Just got to find the day that works. So there's also not a UConn game and, you know, it's basically impossible. It's like calendar Tetris, but. <laughs> yeah, there's no UConn game and I'm in the mood for doing something of that nature too. Right. <laughs> because. I mean, CCSU's close, but it's CCSU. You know, Mm -hmm. let's dive into conference realignment right here. So (laughs) those two teams just left the NEC, which is the conference that Central Connecticut is in. I want to say, is it Merrimack and is it Stonehill that's going to the MAC? Maybe. I honestly don't pay that much attention to conference Uh, realignment. (laughs) Regardless, the the NEC has, I think, six schools left. And I think I have a home for CCSU that would be a really nice fit. 
the America East. The America East, I think, is sneaky my favorite conference in the country. <laughs> because for the most part, it's it feels very like... It feels like it's one of the few conferences that the entire... It has a, a guiding light to it. It has geography that makes sense. All the schools are generally pretty... It, it's like a similar set of schools in it where you have, aside from UConn, you have the three northern state schools, so Maine, Vermont, UNH, and then you've got like UMass Lowell, you had Hartford, RIP, just <laughs> lots of state schools, lots of schools all in the general northeast, like yes, Maryland to Maine is a very long road trip, but from like a center point... I just think CCC would fit in very nicely and that would work out great because then I could go watch mostly Vermont, I like Vermont men's and women's basketball. I could go see Vermont somewhere close now that Hartford is gone and dead. So <laughs> anyways, that's talking conference realignment. <laughs> anyways. Yes. Uh, back to the national picture let's zoom out from the america east as much as i would love to dive into vermont's <laughs> recent win over maine vermont's actually had some injuries not to get too deep but they've like <laughs> played a pretty competitive schedule i they they've had some injuries so hopefully they can get back to the tournament anyways that's enough on vermont lots of upsets this week give me your thoughts so i don't continue rambling on about vermont yeah i think it's been a really interesting week maybe let's start like from the top of the rankings with who lost with UCLA. They lost at USC. Like, How are you holding up? I'm fine. <laughs> like, in no world did I think that UCLA was going to just go sweep through Pac-12 play with no losses. The fact that they're fifth in the poll to me is absolutely bonkers, but, like, whatever. That doesn't actually matter. <laughs> but, UCLA I mean... UCLA is... They're getting the UConn treatment. That's exactly yeah, what it no. is. <laughs> they dropped four spots in the poll over a road loss in conference play in the best conference of the country to another top 10 team where Lauren Betts was sick and only like played off the bench, but whatever. <laughs> anyway, it doesn't change my opinion. It's still the second best team in the country, maybe the best team in the country. Whatever. <laughs> I have no yeah. strong feelings about it. They're not going to move in bracketology. I can tell you that much. So they're going to stay right where they are. Right, they've they've got a good resume and they've played a good schedule. Yeah, exactly. I like you're not gonna. No one is making it through the Pac-12 unscathed. If someone comes out of the Pac-12 undefeated, they will be the number one overall team in the field. I can tell you that much. That would be insane. Like, but that's not gonna happen. No one's going to do that. And it's only Colorado left, right? Right, and like they will lose a game at some point. I am convinced. Oh, comfortably. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> Honestly, I think whoever wins the Pac-12 may overtake South Carolina as the top seed in the field. Even if South Carolina goes undefeated, I think if you only drop one or two teams or one or two games in this Pac-12 schedule, like you should be rewarded for that. I'm not arguing with your logic there. I just think there's zero committee, zero chance yeah. the committee doesn't give the number one overall seed to an undefeated South Carolina team. That's fair. I don't know. I think it'll be interesting. I think we'll kind of know in like that like last seed reveal what they're gonna do. But when's the first one? What, I just uh, February fifteenth. 
and pull my oh, so away. literally almost exactly Mom a month up. away. Okay. Yeah. Yep. So yeah, still ways out, but I mean, South Carolina schedule has been decent, but I just think you're gonna look at a very different. If you're playing in the Pac-12, some of these teams that already have a top ten straight the schedule and are playing in the Pac-12, that's a really impressive resume with a couple one or two losses on it. No, I agree. I think what we kind of come back to would be the old UConn argument where you can only play who you play and it's not like South Carolina try and schedule a good schedule. A good yeah. Of opponents, so that's true. That's true. I just feel like their non-conference schedule wasn't as intense as some of those like undefeated UConn teams, non-conference schedules that made up for it, but we shall see. We'll yeah. know, I think from how the committee treats that in like the yep. later seed reveals. Yep, it'll be really interesting to see, obviously, result depending, because that'll be after UConn plays South Carolina, so that that game will make a difference, but where UConn comes in on that first seed reveal. Yeah, agreed. I, I'm not supposed to, but I do feel like sometimes the committee does things on those reveals just to get the attention to talk. It wouldn't be what they would actually do when the tournament starts. Yeah, there's no evidence that you could specifically say that, but yeah, I, I don't disagree. I think, I mean, and whatever, go for it. Like, <laughs> part of the appeal of them, right, is to get people talking about the tournament earlier. So, you're still serving the purpose. <laughs> I don't have a problem with it. I would just, that's just what I go in every reveal with, where, yeah. all right, this team is going to be here because it's going to be the headline on every single story reveal and it's going to do its job. Yeah, UConn will be the two seed in in Portland just to you know get clicks. Correct. Which like the prospect of going to Albany is like <laughs> very easy, but if the alternative is to go to Portland, Oregon, then I think I could persevere. <laughs> That's fair. Portland is more exciting, but I don't know. I feel like that time of year it's just so chaotic. Easy is better. <laughs> no, I. <laughs> I'm Team Albany. Don't worry. I love the Pacific Northwest. Like, it's Connecticut, New England, and the Pacific Northwest on like my tier list of places that I love. Not that Connecticut isn't part of New England, but you know, just separating it out to mention it specifically. And I would still rather go to Albany. So that's saying something. Yeah, it just makes life so much easier. Yeah. What about elsewhere in the Pac-12 with Colorado beating Stanford? Yeah, I mean, I don't have strong opinions on this one really either. Like, I think we're just going to see this in the Pac-12. You've got a handful of top 10 teams. They're going to beat up on each other. Colorado is generally a hard place to play. Stanford drops the game there. Like, I feel like it doesn't... I'm a little bit surprised in that. Like, I feel like I just kind of keep waiting for the shoe to fall on this Colorado team, and it doesn't. But, it's, I'm, again, not, like, shocked. I think we're going to see a lot of this in the Pac-12. I have a question for you. Is Stanford actually good, or is Cameron Brink just good? Cameron Brink is fantastic. Kiki Irafan is also fantastic. Beyond that, I don't know, but it, that the two of them is going to be enough to win against most teams. <laughs> 
So they're the Yukon of the West Coast. Yeah. <laughs> but both of the but there's this it's all one two punch of big like two bigs that just like not many teams have the size to match up with them on the post. Yeah. Any other results that you uh feel strongly to talk about before we get to the most exciting one? <laughs> I think Baylor had a rough, rough, rough road trip. Another team that I kind of thought the shoe was going to fall on eventually, but happened in a little bit more dramatic fashion than I maybe would have thought. They lose by 20 points at Kansas, then lose at Iowa State, go for being like undefeated, and everyone's talking about them as a top five team, just definitely coming back to Earth some. Yeah, that seems like a pretty big jump from a team that loses in the second round to a potential Final Four contender. I was wondering how that one worked, and turns out it didn't. Yeah, exactly. I think it's just sometimes who you play in non-conference play and stuff, like you just you get un- overinflated. Like they they had that nice win over Utah, but I mean, I think Utah's only at like fifteenth in the poll now. Like they're just not necessarily as 20. good as people. Okay, twenty. Oh yeah, because they lost to Stanford this weekend, probably. Um. But yeah, maybe that win that win just hasn't aged as well as you thought it would. Like they've got a nice win over Miami, but like that doesn't jump off the page. Yeah, you beat Texas, but I don't know. I'm they just, beat Texas yeah. after Rory Harmon tore ACL. Did they? Was that after? I believe so. I thought it, I thought I thought it was before, but maybe it was after. Yeah. So like, actually, yeah, it was after. So, so yeah, like that that win is just in as exciting anymore and yeah all of a sudden you're just like okay it, it kind of makes sense like there's just no big statement wins on this roster like yeah you beat tcu by 21 but like tcu is not top 25 team people are ridiculous so <laughs> yeah so now that we've gotten all that, have you uh, rolled up your sleeve, uh, cut <laughs> off your blood flow, and found a vein so that we can stick this one right in there? <laughs> LSU going down to Auburn, who had not won a conference game. I know we talked about it earlier, but it bears mentioning again and a little more reveling. Yeah, this LSU team, they look better than they did against Colorado on night one. They've kind of just not looked the part, in my opinion, of a top team. Like, they haven't lost, but they played a bunch of nobodies. Shocking. Um, not shocking. And then just, like, to the start conference play, they just they haven't looked great. And I think kind of came tumbling down against the Sovereign. And this, to lose that game, that's not a, good, not a good loss on their resume. And now you're talking about a team with just not a lot of opportunities to pick up good wins either. Which, I mean, I don't know. There's still a team that, like, because of the talent, I wouldn't want to see in my bracket in March. But it just doesn't seem to be coming together the way people thought it would by this point in the season. Myself included. Yeah. Also would just be a phenomenally difficult matchup for UConn with Angel Reese and Aaliyah. Not Aaliyah. Anissa Morrow. I was thinking about Aaliyah (laughs) Edwards talking about them. Because Aaliyah could handle one of them. And I think you'd probably try and win that game 90 to 85. Mm-hmm. And you just kind of let either Moro or Angel Reese go wild because you know you can't defend her and you just have Paige torch whoever is on her 
one of the whichever one of those two is on her down the other end and Paige puts up 35 and you just see if you can beat him in a shootout it's kind of how i feel like that game would go or you just yeah. try and get turnovers from the guards before they can get it down low it's probably you press really hard up top and you kind of let them have it down below yeah exactly would be actually but, a decent strategy. Else, use averaging like sixteen turnovers a game against a not great start the schedule. So that's that's probably a very good strategy. <laughs> so in that vein, I think myself included, but it's really easy to look at who has who UConn has left and think back to some of those teams that have gotten to the final four for UConn and haven't gotten over the hump. They've lost in the national semifinal game, and say, well, this UConn team is not going to the final four. They they just don't have the talent. But then you look at who's around them in the top 10. How many teams would you really be worried about matchup-wise? Obviously, whatever happens on a given day could happen. But matchup-wise, who would really worry you for this UConn team if they were in the same region as the Huskies in terms of getting to the Final Four and even seeing further beyond that? Yeah, I mean, I think the obvious answers are South Carolina and UCLA. They're just the two best teams in the country. They've got the side. They've got the whole picture, and and that's going to be a hard matchup. Stanford, for exactly the reason I was just saying, with just their size and side, and really similar to what you just said with LSU, that they just can't match up with Brink and Eriathan at the same time. You're going to have to let one go off and they're both averaging like 17 point double doubles. So letting one go off is, is it definitely a risk beyond that? Don't know that like, there's a team that, that scares me. Taught. I mean, obviously like Juju Watkins has just been fantastic for USC and could be hard for UConn to guard. But I think those, the first three that I mentioned is like really where my biggest concerns would lie. And LSU, too, for the reasons you mentioned, just the size. But they still might be able to pull that off. Yeah, LSU, I think, would be the most doable of that one. I think Stanford would be a very similar game plan where you just get all over those guards and you try and out-backcourt them as much as you can mm -hmm. and limit the damage down low. Like, I, I just wrote the preview for the Seton Hall game about why Amari isn't in the rotation and probably won't end up in the rotation but that could maybe even be an amari game where you tell her look your only job is to do your best the, the same way they did against ucla just keep her away from the basket as best you can use your size and if you get fouls you get, you get fouls but and nc state i think is an interesting one i think it goes two ways on one hand NC State could feel like they have the upper hand and it could be a mental advantage. And on the other hand, UConn could really want to take it to NC State. And I don't think we uh, factor revenge in enough when some of these teams play again. Like all those years, UConn played Notre Dame in the Final Four <laughs> and beat Notre Dame in the regular season. And then Notre Dame came back and got them in the Final Four or even vice versa. That happened in 2013. Notre Dame beat UConn three times and UConn got them in the national semifinals. So... I, I think NC State might be it could it could go either way where it could be a great matchup or it could be a terrible matchup and I'm not totally sure which. Yeah. Agreed, but I think the revenge factor plays it in a lot there and 
how much of that game was like UConn's inability to match up with NC State and how much was it just UConn not playing well. I think I lean more towards the latter. And this UConn yeah. team looks very different than it did back then. It's It doesn't just look very different. It is very different. I yeah, mean, that too. <laughs> I mean, Ashlyn Shade was a did-not-play-coach's decision in that game. Yeah. And now Ashlyn Shade is one of their most important players and one of their best players too. Not to Mm -hmm. like, I'm not trying to take anything away from she's both of those things. So we are eons away from that NC state game. And any of these games that happen would most likely be a, either a home game or a pseudo home game for UConn. Yeah, exactly. So there's that factor too, which yes, people are going to be annoyed about when we get there, but it is what it is. (laughs) Other cities should have interest in women's basketball, right. and maybe it won't go to Albany every year. Yeah, like ultimately, you want people in the seats, and that's why the cities around UConn are bidding because they know they'll get that. Too bad, like we don't get like the good cities bidding. No, we get Albany and Bridgeport. Yeah, why, like, can't... why can't we get like Boston or like I don't know where else? Portland. I don't know how big Portland's arena is. Maybe Portland's too yeah. small. But even yeah. Manchester, New Hampshire, isn't mm-hmm. that far from Portsmouth? So, oh, we got a few hours. Let's go into Portsmouth. I actually don't know how right. close it is. Or <laughs> just something else other yeah. than Albany and Bridgeport. And Bridgeport. <laughs> Please, but I think that that'll be the first time for a while they're in those two cities but we won't lean on our crutch of we don't have anything to talk about let's go look at the final four in regional cities for the 15th <laughs> time on this podcast we'll wait until the yeah. new ones come out which has got to be coming up soon right or do yeah, they do it, it in be. like four-year bursts good point i don't remember now we'll see <laughs> all right well next episode we have nothing to talk about we can get to it because we've somehow pulled off an hour almost oh nice <laughs> so i think we can wrap it there So thank you for listening to this episode of Chasing Perfection. We'll be back next week to talk about all the games and start previewing a little more excitement ahead in the schedule. Talk to you then.